Hello and welcome to another edition of Rethinking Aloud, the podcast of Leicester Diocese. I'm starting conversations that we hope continue after the podcast is finished. And today we're talking about creation and spirituality, about how what God has created turns our attention to praise, how it speaks of and how it showcases his glory, how we might respond to that in worship, how we might use the natural world perhaps as an evangelistic resource, and how we have a responsibility as Christians to look after and to steward the earth's resources. And I'm joined today by Matthew Goff, curate at St Mary's Knighton, uh, really into pilgrimage and walking. Uh, We'll hear a bit about that later on. Also a fan of a bit of canoeing and of the outdoors in general. Uh, Joined also by Anne Scott, uh, a pioneer minister who runs a missional community called Green Light, which is very rooted in spirituality and discipleship and environmental themes. And Erica Lee Smith has uh, just completed her GCSEs, an A-level student, uh, and very committed environmental activist and Christian. So welcome uh, to the panel. And let's kick off, Matthew, let's start with you. Um, God's creation, it's a bit special, isn't it? Um, but how does it enhance your faith? And how does your faith enhance your appreciation of it? Thanks very much, John. I think for me, the starting point is Psalm 19, where the psalmist says that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Day after day, they pour forth speech. And I cannot help but see in the created order that God is communicating to us. He's speaking to us. He's pointing to his son, Jesus Christ, um, whether it be through Uh, the risen sun of a new day, the start of a new day, a beautiful sunrise, or through where you might see in winter or autumn, um, a chopped log, a chopped tree stump, and yet new life spurts forth from that in the spring. And I just cannot uh, help but see uh, new life, resurrection, second chances, starting afresh, a new day. And and that that textures my faith. And since becoming a Christian, I, I look at the created world in a new way and it does enhance my faith because of that. Mm. I think I, I agree with you, Matthew, because when I, um, as uh, yeah, as myself, look at creation, I see God as creator and uh, just a real sense of his fingerprint being on all that he has created, that mm. creation reveals his character, his wisdom and his love. And I think for me, there's a a real sense of wonder and awe that comes as I look at the enormity of creation, you know, from the vastness of the universe down into the intricate details of insects and microorganisms. Mm -hmm. But just love to see how the interplay has been created as part of their relationship. Um, There's a lovely example of the uh, Adonis blue caterpillar and ants and how they work together how the ants eat the sugary substance from the caterpillar and are fed, and yet the ant's presence there really protects the caterpillar so that it can then grow to be a full butterfly. So I just love that that sense of God's creation being um, interlinked in that way. And then that sense of being part of creation, um, being created from the same soil and having the same breath of life and, and for all of creation to be dependent on God. Um, and that interrelationship for me is is a really powerful part of seeing um, God's creation as being just everywhere. 
Yeah, uh, and I think um, I'm just thinking thinking for myself as well at the moment. Um, my hobby, one of one of my hobbies, is fishing. I've always done that, and even before I was a Christian, I can remember that just the the process, particularly if I was fishing at night, of being outside in creation used to cause me to to ask those kind of God questions that you, you become aware of of your size and, and the magnitude of creation, and you think, well. Is there something more? So I think even even before I was a Christian, there was a sense in which um, creation was evangelising me, and uh, and that whole thing about uh, you know the beauty of nature being enhanced by our faith. Um, I think I think there's a hymn. It's an old hymn, and I'll probably get it slightly wrong because I'm trying to do it off by heart. But there was something that says something like, "Sky above is brighter blue, earth below is deeper hue. Something uh, lives in everything." Christless eyes have never seen, and it's, it's you know, the beauty that we all acknowledge in creation. I think does take on that extra kind of dimension when you think, my gosh, I know the one who created this, and he not only created this, but he cares about me. Um, so it's a creation so beautiful, uh, but fragile. Uh, where do you observe the fragility, Erica? I think that's a really interesting question and um, I've been thinking about this and I think it can be seen on several kind of levels. Um, so I think in terms of obviously natural, naturally um, you have the the tipping points that you have in nature and, and um, how delicate they are and how we have such a delicate balance of ecosystems that we need to maintain um, to preserve our planet but also um, the kind of fragility of poorer communities who were worst hit by the impacts of climate change mm -hmm. and how it really emphasizes the need for compassion in Christian circles especially. So that's really interesting so not only is creation um, pointing us to the creator but perhaps what we might call the effects of the fall and how that impacts on creation points to the need for justice and compassion and care that's, uh, yeah i don't think i've ever really thought about that that's, that's really interesting um and, and staying with you for a moment erica can you tell us what your concern um, for what some people describe as you know the, the cr climate crisis uh, what your concern has led to you doing in terms of action uh, and it'll be interesting to know to what extent is your response driven by your faith yeah, I think um, it's definitely a, a crisis situation. Um, so as a youth striker, one of the main things that I obviously do is the youth climate strikes and they're a kind of public demonstration, a great political statement, and it's ha a great platform for young people to really express their frustration and how ridiculous it is that we've reached this situation. Um, but personally, I also speak a lot uh, in different contexts about um, my faith and my activism. Um, but also I think a lot of people, when they think about action and environmentalism, they can think about how they need to change their individual lifestyles. And personally, I'm not a massive advocate for this. I know a lot of people have a lot of different views about it. But um, personally, I think that it's important to reduce your personal contribution. So obviously I've been looking at how I can personally contribute less carbon dioxide emissions and things like that. But ultimately, I think it's the most important thing is to hold institutions accountable for their contributions, which are so significant. So I don't know if you've heard the statistic that only 100 
companies are responsible for 70% of global carbon dioxide emissions. And for me, that really sort of Mm. rams at home that actually it's those people that we need to hold most accountable. But in terms of faith, yeah, I'd say absolutely. Um, My faith plays a massive part in what I do. Uh, And I think of it in two main ways. So obviously the beauty of creation and how we have this great gift of the planet and we have a duty of stewardship, but also the idea of global justice. Um, there's a great verse in Isaiah, which is, um, isn't this, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. And I think that's definitely a call to action from the Christian community, um, and to promote justice. And I think that's so important in my activism. Mm. So, so can I kind of stay in the same sort of area and bring you in, Anne? Look, some Christians might say, yeah, there is something in the Bible about human responsibility for the earth, um, but it's pretty low on the list of priorities. You know, Jesus's great commission was to go and make disciples. Our main priority should be saving souls, not the planet. And anyway, scripture tells us this earth's transitory. Ultimately, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. This thing's got a limited lifespan anyway. Let's get back to the main thing of looking to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. All this environmental stuff is a distraction from our primary mission. Now, you'll hear people sometimes saying that. How would you respond to that? I, I think you're right. And I think it's a it's a tragedy that we hear that so often. I think we're right. You're right that our primary calling is for us to have a relationship with God. Um, And I think our primary mission is to work with him to care for all that he has made. Um, And for that, for people, um, for them to be discipled, for them to have relationship with God, but also for his planet. And like um, Erica was saying, for that to be stewarded wisely. I think I would argue that the first calling we were ever given as people in Genesis 1.28 is to subdue the earth in the midst of the chaos of creation and to have dominion over it. That word dominion, I know, has caused lots of problems over time. um, And there's lots of discussion around what the word dominion means. But for me, I love the sense of dominion being to rule as the creator would rule, as God would rule. So it's in with relationship with him and caring for the creation that he made and that after every day declared it as good. So I think you can see that um, in the Garden of Eden. You can see Adam and Eve working in relationship with God, meeting together, discussing what they're going to do with the garden plants and how all the animals are working together. And just a beautiful picture of how we are called to work in relationship with him. But then, like you say, after the fall, that then is broken. But when it is reestablished in Jesus's um, salvation, we're then called back to care for all that God has given to us with him and with people. The people and planet bit, I think, is really key in terms of our primary mission. Um, and then I think I would really question that idea when um, you said about that the earth is transitory as well, because I think I don't recognize our God as being a God of obliteration and destruction, you know, for the sense that he created the world and said it was so good. I don't see God as God who would just get rid of that and destroy it. But actually, I see a God who renews and restores um, in the same way as he doesn't obliterate us um, because of our sin, but he transforms us and renews us 
I have a, a, a beautiful image in my mind of, of creation that he has made being restored and renewed. Um, like um, in Isaiah 43 and 42, he calls us to see what he is doing. He calls us to see the new thing that he's doing and to join with him um, in the recreation of his planet as well as in the recreation of his people. Yeah, and, that, and that's actually picked up in the book of Romans, isn't it? Just thinking about that that um, verse which talks about the whole of, you know, when, when Paul is um, kind of laying out his doctrine of redemption, uh, he doesn't only speak uh, about personal, individual um, salvation, but he talks about the whole of creation groaning as in the pains of childbirth for its restoration or for its redemption. So so that, yeah, uh, that idea of the new creation as as a redeeming of the world is, is quite exciting. Sorry, Matthew, you were going. So, no, it's uh, fine. Um, yeah, I think we've introduced uh, a dualism in uh, our, our thinking and our faiths out there, which mm. I don't think is um, backed up by scripture in terms of, so look at the Great Commission at the end of Mark. It, it just amplifies what you just said about Romans there. At the end of Mark, we're commissioned to go and uh, preach the good news to all creation. And I was a bit playful, but I like the idea that actually um, God is embracing all of creation there. It is not just um, this very creation is bad. We must subdue it um, under our dominion. It's actually, it is all part of the the God story. And I think I'd agree, uh, Erica was talking earlier about um, the impact of environmental destruction on humanity. And I think that's why I'm concerned about environmental uh, politics, not because of the abstract environment, but actually we destroy humanity. We destroy human beings in mm-hmm. uh, the sub-Saharan areas with excess uh, consumerism in the West. So I do think it's connected and I do think it affects humanity's um, well-being, which God is ultimately uh, concerned about. Mm-hmm. I love that phrase that Anne came out with about people and planet. Uh, yeah. And I think, right, I think there is... Sort of an artificial distinction. It's a false dichotomy yeah. to say either or when something's actually both and. Um, Erica, did you did you want to add anything at all? No, I think I think what uh, both Anne and Matthew said uh, absolutely spot on. That idea of like renewing the earth rather than destroying it. I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians, get very caught up in the idea that this is actually not. It's not worth considering our actions and it's it's all going to be disposable ultimately anyway and the only aim that we should have is to to save souls like like you said um john but yeah i think it's absolutely that, that sort of interconnectedness and i read a great book i don't know if any of you have heard of it called planet wise by dave bookless and it ha- talks about this sort of triangle of relationships between you have the relationship um with other people your relationship with god and your relationship with the world and the planet and I think that sort of sums it up very well that we need all three not just one or two of them yeah mm. absolutely I think it's it's part of our relationship and our, our journey with God isn't it to enable others yeah. to come to know God and to refine refine relationship with him but it's also part of our job to enable creation to to flourish just as people we want them to flourish we want the creation of God to to flourish and yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I think, um, again, it's still in the early chapter of Romans in my mind, but um, there's that passage, the no excuse passage, which talks about uh, the way that God is built into creation uh, so much about himself so that people 
in a sense, only have to look at creation and they'll know quite a bit about him. And, and if that's true, you know, if creation, in a sense, uh, just by being what it is, sings a God song, then the more we can amplify that, then the more we're presenting people with it, with a kind of a, um, an opportunity to connect with the God who made it all. Um, yeah, ch- changing tack a little bit now. I know, Matthew, over recent years, you've got into the rather ancient practice of pilgrimage, uh, which yeah, we might have a tendency to associate with, I don't know, medieval piety or Chaucer's Canterbury Tales or with places like Rome or the Holy Land or that whole Compostela Camino de Santiago thing in Spain. Um, but how did you get into all of this pilgrimage stuff and, and how have you given it a local twist? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, all those places you you, uh, you you name there, they sound quite exotic. And uh, I'm starting from the point of Wigston, which you know, <laughs> is quite an ordinary town. But I think, well, why not? Why not that be a place of pilgrimage? But it was only based on the fact that I, I lived there and I was ministering there. And I was aware that we had two churches in a, a one parish. And I found one was called St. Wiston's. I'd never heard of St. Wiston. And I, I just did a bit of research and it really escalated and snowboarded. It was almost like God put in my way the people I needed to talk to. And lots of different people have come forward and helped me understand the history of um, the lovely place, Wistow, the rural centre. We've got uh, St. Wiston's Church there as well. That Wistow actually means holy place of Wistow. And, and we've got this uh pre-reformation medieval saint um, called Wiston and I thought well this is wonderful couldn't this get Wigston on the map or Leicestershire on the map in terms of having a, a Leicestershire saint and pilgrimage as a means to engage people uh, share God's love through uh, pilgrimage and it's at very early stages at the moment but I, I just think there's there's real potential there and we've been doing this kind of pilgrimage route between Wiston sorry between Wistow and Wigston the last couple of years and we, we could extend it beyond to Repton, the Mercian royal household back in the, the ninth century. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if anyone watches Vikings on Prime, but it's uh, Wiston is mentioned in there. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah, what Leicestershire needs a saint and we could all benefit from a bit of a pilgrimage as I found it's got quite a popular appeal. Mm. So, so what do you do? You sort of you walk a particular route and stop for short reflections and things at, at significant points, do you? or? Yeah, I think that's really important to do that. Um, I was reading recently about how um, the Camino Way has become so popular with uh, pilgrims that, you know, sometimes people from the local church will say, oh, come and come and pray with us and say, no, 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 Um, I'm on a pilgrimage. I haven't got time. And so it's like, and and the term they talk about was um, all all walk, no worship. So it's a bit contested in the pilgrimage world, as I've found, but actually we've we've always had, in the last couple of years, uh, uh, it's been an open public event. It's been well supported by the local community, not necessarily just church people, but the civic community, people interested in local history, people who like walking. And actually, as part of that, we have stopped at pivotal points to pray, to, to share scripture, to pause. And I think people have... have been attracted to that and I think it's a very important way to engage with people respect where people are at in a way that actually people might have a bit of an aversion to formal religious uh, structures churches even the bible but actually this feels a very safe way accessible way to engage with something that touches our deepest yearnings to know God and I think as we've talked about the created order is a very good way to 
um, point to God and his love for us. That's fascinating because it sounds like it should be a very kind of Christian thing, you know, pilgrimage and walking and praying and, and stuff. Um, but the fact that your St. Wiston's pilgrimage has actually attracted quite a few people who aren't yet Christians and they've come along and really enjoyed it. Um, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I mean, did you anticipate that or was that a surprise? I, it was a lovely surprise how well it's been supported and how so far it was relatively um, pushing it open doors. People were only too happy because, I mean, it, it appeals to people in so many different ways. I think um, Leicestershire often undersells itself. And I think actually, yeah, Wigston too, you know, let, let's have some kind of civic pride here. But equally, um, people love that kind of sense, getting out in the outdoors, walking across the beautiful green fields between Wistow and Wigston. And it happens every year, or obviously it didn't happen this year. I did a virtual one online, YouTube, St. Wiston's Pilgrimage. Um, I, I think it's, it, it does, uh, we, we walk with people and a lot of pilgrim leaders will talk about actually maybe not even having pauses, but just the journey itself being where people can do business spiritually and God can talk to them and trusting God in that. Mm. And that kind of brings me on to the next sort of thing that I was wanting to ask you guys, but I mentioned that a little bit earlier that my hobby is fishing. Um, someone once bought me a T-shirt which said religion is a man in church thinking about fishing, faith is a man fishing thinking about God. And, and I would say that I'm often very aware of God's presence when I'm out in the beauty of nature uh, and when I'm fishing, it's like creation is God's cathedral. But what would you say to the person, and I'm sure that you've all heard it, but what would you say to the person who says, I don't go to church because I feel that a good walk in the countryside makes me feel I connect with God, so church isn't necessary. How, how would you answer that? That's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because there are some people when they design their church buildings, try to make them look like nature. So I don't know if you've ever been to Barcelona and seen Gaudi's Cathedral, the Sagrada Familia. Um, it's full of natural um, sculptures and the, the columns in it are just beautiful. And there's a real sense of trying to replicate um, creation in it. And I think there is a hunger, like you said, for people to connect with the world around them. Because we are, like I said earlier, we are part of nature we're, and we're called to join in with creation to worship God. So I love Psalm 148, which is a beautiful psalm, um, kind of describing the whole of creation, worshipping God in the way that it's been made to be. So how it, how the, um, the animals and the cattle and the grass and the mountains worship God by being what they've been made to be. And in some ways, we're the only part of creation that have been given that choice to join in with um, with them. Um, and the psalm calls for us to join in with the rest of creation. Mm -hmm. So I think when we're out in creation, there is that sense of, of joining. So Greenlight um, have done church in the spinney for probably a couple of years now. Which So the spinney is like a wooded area, part of the school that I work in. And we've done some forest church services there. And we do describe it like our green cathedral, because when you go in it, you're just surrounded by greenery and the birds and the insects. And it is completely wonderful. And it does feel like church without walls that we're meeting there to worship God and, and that the walls of the buildings have been taken away and we're, we're standing there with him. And so there um, we, we would do sort of 
a, some normal type church activities there, but we might do barefoot walking where we're just removing any barriers between us and the creation. Um, we might do some litter picking or some activity that cares for creation. So um, there's a sense of it being a physical and a spiritual worship that those, um, like you're saying, that dualism you were talking about earlier, Matthew, that they, they come back together, that actually we are connecting with the world around us. Um, and I think, you know, that that connection is is in our traditions. It's in, it's in who we're meant to be. And we have just forgotten it. So being able and, and permitted to go out and do church outside frees us to rediscover those connections. Mm-hmm. I wonder if um, Erica's triangle as well um, comes into it a bit, that um, idea of God, others and us. Uh, and that can all take place in creation, but there's an importance of, about this sort of corporate us as the people of God, um, rather than an individualistic kind of self-indulgent enjoyment of, of, of nature and of God in, you know, and of the God of creation, um, but without other people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think that there is that, that communal sense, isn't there, of, of being together, which gives you that, that description of church. Um, but also just being together in in the creation. So having that sense of of being with the, the trees that are growing and um, just displaying God's glory in that way. You're joining with them as you're hearing the woodpecker um, feeding its babies or the, you're watching the bee down in the leaf litter. And so there is that sense of, of a, co- a community that is wider than just us. It takes mm-hmm. us, stops it from being so is a good word anthropocentric but actually mm. broadens it out into being a, a, cre- a whole creation mm. I, i'd like to say that i think our church walls need to be more um, flexible and i think um perhaps the medieval church knew something that we've we've lost in many ways so for example um you mentioned i was a, a curate at knighton and the church is built on the river the old wash book and you go to the source of the washbook and it's over at Stretton near the Roman road of Gartree. And you see between Stretton and all the way down to Elster Meadows, the life that that river has given, including being um, the banks on which uh, St. Mary's Magdalene Church in Knighton was built. And the sense that um, having an understanding of water as symbolizing the living waters, the Holy Spirit, Jesus being in the water. He talks about himself as living waters and that having potency and all the life, the fields, the farmland that has given us that kind of life, um, recognizing that and, and, and connecting with that and, and making that part of our, our story in a way that isn't um, worshipping um, the earth, but at the same time, is saying actually there's something integral that it's important to not lose touch with our environment our created order yeah i think i think the bible as a whole is a is a beautiful description of of nature isn't it there's so many allusions to it and jesus's parables are are rooted in the the natural world around him and like you say matthew to 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 speak um outside and to 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 visualize the river and to visualize the 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 different elements that are around us really help us to understand more of what's been spoken about in the written word of God as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Erica, lots of people these days, and perhaps particularly younger people, uh, are rightly very concerned about the environment. 
Do you think that Christian concern for it actually provides us with evangelistic opportunities? Uh, because people, you know, people get that we share their concern, uh, and we ourselves, we feel we have even more reason to be involved because of our theology of creation and stewardship. So, do you do you think you notice some kind of potential evangelistic spin-off uh, as a secondary benefit? Um, I think that's a difficult one because lots of people will have lots of different opinions about it. Um, but first of all, for me, it doesn't really make sense if it's just an attempt for the church to be on the same page as the rest of society. I think we should not in any way do it because it's trending, but we should do it out of genuine compassion for others and for the world. Um, and in terms of the question of evangelism, for me, I think evangelism is essentially sharing the good news and actually a lot of environmental activists can become quite down and pessimistic about the future because mm. of how overwhelming all the statistics are and how much suffering there is and how how much of a struggle it can seem for us to make any progress but as christians i i definitely think that we live in hope and yeah. we have a role in sharing that hope in even amidst the environmental crisis and the Bible actually says to be ready to give an account for the hope that is in us. So in a sense, um, it's not really evangelism that would be a sort of spin-off opportunity, uh, but it's more sort of the idea of witness and using this as a chance to, to link our faith and our activism, but it shouldn't be the main motivation that we have. It should be because we genuinely are passionate about the problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A couple more theological questions now. Um, I, I think Matthew almost touched on this a minute ago, but how do we ensure that this doesn't all just end up spiralling downwards into pantheism? <laughs> I think, I, I see this for myself, I'm happiest when I when I go out into um, outside and will take my Bible with me and maybe I'll take some uh, Anglican liturgy to, to help uh, my prayer life but I think we have to hold on to the bible and we have to hold it um whilst we are when we're outside and uh, not lose sight of that so I've got a friend who's uh you know she'll she'll hug the trees and she'll talk about um bro brother moon sister sister earth and that goes a little bit too too far for me but that, that you know I wouldn't totally rule it out but it sounds a bit superstitious or pantheistic um but you know, I think when we look at scripture, we see Jesus is um, is, a, is in dynamic relationship with the elements. He's in dynamic relationship with nature. He commands the wind. He curses a fig tree. And I think that cursing the fig tree is quite an interesting example. Actually, we need to be unsentimental about creation. That doesn't mean, as we talked about earlier, exploiting it, having dominion over it to the extent of exploiting everything out of it. But it is about being in tandem with it. And I see that Jesus example, he has command over it. And just like we talked earlier about the um, how we work from Genesis in terms of understanding our relationship with the earth, I, I used to have an allotment. If I would be lazy and neglect it, I could say, oh, I'm letting God take over. But it would be an absolute mess. It was awful. It was unproductive. Um, I could build on it. I could fill it full of fertilizers, but I'd effectively destroy it and ruin it. Whereas I think a good allotment, a good allotment keeper works in tandem with uh, that natural drive, that natural element to, to steward it 
and have it productive and fruitful. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that the idea of pantheism, because you, you, you talked a bit about um, Brother Moon and, and, the, and their sense of actually having relationship with the world. Um, and I know that a lot of Forest Church um, liturgy and stuff will, will engage with those kind of ideas. And there is a sense that for some people, some Christians, it's possible to walk that path quite closely between um, the spirituality of creation um, and for some even to be able to say, actually, this is the second book of God. And so we, we read God within creation. Um, for me, there is a sense I would need, to, like Matthew, would want to have my Bible and have the written word of God beside that as well. But, you know, to look for what God is doing within creation, but not to lose hold of the fact that God is the creator and that we are worshipping him and caring for our world is part of our worship for him. Um, mm. And it's caring for it is part of our discipleship as we follow him. Caring for it is, um, like we touched on at the beginning, a call for justice as we care for the people around us and around the world, as we see um, the, the damage that's being done and we see the problems, actually this is God's heart for justice, like Erica was saying earlier, that this is part of our call to, to work mm. with him on that. Um, and it is part of our mission. Like I said right at the beginning, it is that sense of this is what we have been called to do. Um, and it's part yeah. of the fifth mark of mission explicitly in the... Um, Church of England to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. And so for all of that, I think we are worshipping God as creator, but it has to have that that holistic view um, within that, that it's, you know, we are part of this and we are called to steward it wisely. Mm. And I suppose the, the, the counterpoint to, to the pantheistic um charge would be would be the fact that we see god's hand in creation but god isn't located in creation that he's both transcendent and imminent um and so i guess for us as christians um we're awestruck by creation and it turns and we turn that toward praise of the creator we don't make creation and the creator synonymous that they become the one thing um Um, we, we've touched on evangelism a few times, and I think I've mentioned Romans uh, chapter 1 uh, early on as well. Um, but um, th- just thinking about verse 20 of that, um, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen and being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Um, that kind of says, doesn't it, uh, and we've been kind of tiptoeing around saying this ourselves as well, but but it kind of says that creation itself is almost like a bit of an evangelistic tract, kind of a billboard that says, spoiler alert, God is. Um, it, it, do, you, do you think that's right? I think, um, like, like we've said before, that the creation does point to God. And where does creation start in Genesis? It starts with the garden. And I love how Jesus talks about when he foretells his own death, that Unless a seed dies, you know, mm. we cannot have life through that without the death of a seed. So there's this constant illusions and metaphor, metaphors using uh, garden um, pictures. And the points to me, it's like, well, why does something grow? Why does something grow? It has to point to, well, there's an author here. And Anne talked about the fingerprint. And I, I, I think of it as like uh, 
God's signature being over all creation. And when you see that beautiful sunrise or your sunset, there's such artistry there. And I think, why am I wasting time looking at silly stuff on my phone or Facebook or watching uh, the latest meme or GIF when actually look up, look to the skies. And, uh, you know, God is a far better artist than anything that we can ever create. Mm. And you look at some of the stuff that he's created and you think, yeah, why did he make it so beautiful? And you and you kind of imagine it's, he did it just because he can. You know, you just thought, well, this would be fun. Let's put some Let's put some bright blue on the kingfisher. That'll look nice. We've had a, a picture up in our office for probably a good couple of years now. Um, it was an image done by some young people um, in schools work competition. Um, and it's a picture of a girl standing in the middle of the forest wearing a T-shirt saying, I see no evidence of God. And yet surrounding her are the trees and the the leaves and everything around her. And written onto each one of those objects is just the word God, 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 God. And just that that sense that actually as Christians we're called to point out and just to say look draw people into that sense of awe and wonder look at him in the bird song look at him in the designs on the tree trunks look at him in the intricacy of Fibonacci patterns um, as well as in the healings and the miracles and the words and the signs and the wonders actually God is around us um, and so I think, like you say, it's it's a beautiful evangelism tract and one that a lot of people are open to observing and sharing with us. Mm-hmm. We're coming towards the end of our time together now. Um, but last question to go out to all of you. Um, we'll have a go at this. But we thought about environmental concern. Uh, we thought about um, even the, the inherent evangelistic potential in the creation itself. Uh, we thought about creation as a springboard to praise and worship you know then sings my soul my savior god to thee all that stuff um do you think that we as church make enough of creation as gift and opportunity um as a diocese we have recently said that we're going to become an eco-diocese Um, So that's a beautiful step forward that we're going to work on together um, and really calls for us as individual churches to engage perhaps with, well, engage with becoming eco-churches. So within an eco-church, what we're looking for is for each congregation to think about their teaching and their worship. So how are they, are they having regular sermons? Are kids groups engaging with the environment? How is it coming across in in our song worship and in our lifestyles? Um, In terms of our management of our buildings and our church land, you know, are we looking at the biodiversity? Are we looking at energy saving? How are we working towards becoming net zero? Um, And then how are we engaging with our community and the global engagement? And what's the lifestyle like of our individual lives and our uh, congregation? So it's a beautiful way for churches to move forward. Um, And although there isn't a sense of this being evangelistic, actually, as we are doing that, we are giving witness and testimony to God's glory around us because we're saying that this is important and we're caring for it. Mm -hmm. So I would, if churches are not engaged with Eco Church, 100% um, encourage them to be working with that, whether they are rural, whether they are in the city centre, whether they are left-wing, they're right-wing, liberal, evangelistic, uh, not evangelistic, charismatic, 
um, that there would be a sense of all of these churches working together to care for God's world. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, about, what about you two guys? Do we make enough of it? Yeah. Um, so I think in terms of creation as a gift, the church in a way has kind of taken too much of it um, and is very much aware that it's there and very happy to take it for granted and exploit it. So in a sense, I guess we have to sort of appreciate the gift more and recognise that it's not an indefinite supply. Um, and then the thing about opportunity uh, kind of suggests, and, and the idea of evangelistic opportunity, I guess for me, um, suggests what we can benefit from it as a church and actually it shouldn't really be about how we can benefit from it as Christians but but it should be a chance to recognize our responsibility and how how in that interconnectedness that that um Anna and Matthew were talking about and how we have this key role in in looking after the planet and those who are suffering most in the global south and actually instead of taking this as a chance for us to look better or look more engaged with current affairs and things. We need to just have a sh complete shift to a, a much more ethical and sustainable mindset. Um, Pope Francis talked about it being a kind of eco-conversion, which I think is a really interesting way of describing it and really sort of addresses the idea that we, that we need to have justice and we need to to, to wake up to the fact that we aren't caring enough. So care because we care, not because we cynically um, yeah. spot an opportunity. Yeah, Definitely. although it may bring with it opportunities. Yeah, Matthew. Yeah, I, I think um, I am concerned that we don't let uh, love of creation and God's place in creation become the niche of the forest church. And I, I'd like to see um, all of our churches embracing. Uh, creation and our natural world and I think that's been one of the things during lockdown that has struck me um, many of the people in our parish churches have said they've endured you know because they can't meet and pray in churches not until now anyway they've they've been going out and said well they've met with God they haven't neglected their relationship with God they may well have done that more so when we're been allowed to go out into the countryside and go for walks and I think it so it absolutely enhances people's spirituality. Uh, our, our discussion earlier about fearing um, worship of creation rather than the creator, uh, I mean that's often brought up actually when you start showing an interest in, in, in the countryside and the natural world and I, I think really sadly the bigger risk is exactly as Erica and Hannah have outlined is that we're, we're, we're exploiting the Earth's natural resources at an astonishing rate, a frightening um, disregard for future um, uh, generations. And really, the, the, the greater thing would be to take seriously those all those marks of mission, which include environmental stewardship and um, sustain it, looking at ways that we worship sustainably and uphold a church that stands up for justice for environment and those who suffer the injustices of environmental degradation. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly that thing about the danger of um, worshipping the creation rather than the creator, 
And those kind of dangers aren't unique to how Christians engage with the environment. Um, you know, some Christians fall into the trap of worshipping the building. Others fall into the trap of worshipping the band. You know, whatever, wherever we line up, you know, there are those dangers of turning a good thing into the object of our worship rather than an aid to worship. So it's not, it's not that it's unique uh, to our relationship with with, with creation or, or or that. And I suppose you know, built into our church's year, and some churches obviously follow the, the liturgical year more closely than others within our diocese. But there is that whole period of creation time, uh, and of course, harvest, particularly I guess in in more rural. Uh, church communities but there is still that you know the harvest festival thing and people coming together and so built into our churches kind of yearly cycle there are these these times that encourage us to actually turn our attention to to god's world and his creation as well yeah i think that's a really healthy thing because we've got this i think you're right you do see that in the rural churches but you certainly don't in many of the urban churches and i think that creates an unhealthy disconnect so you know we we only come into contact with uh our farming communities when we may go to the supermarket and see packaged meat or vegetables without any sense of seasonality or sustainable farming methods. So I, I do think there's a, an interconnectedness here that things like harvest and creation tide help cultivate, but we've got to embrace them. Yeah, and perhaps for us being a rural diocese with um, with, with, urban, with an urban heartland, you know, perhaps that's where we need to be learning from each other. Um, sorry, Anne, you were going to come Yeah, in I was then. just going to say that um, the Central Church of England has also called for us all to have a Climate Sunday before the COP conference next November, which has been postponed from this November, um, in Glasgow. So the next UN Climate Change Conference, just to have a time specifically for looking at the political, but the justice and the, the issues that are going on so that every church community, whether it's Church of England or any denomination, can engage with this on a, on a wider scale. So linked into the whole Creation Tide um, as well that there are these key points where we're called to engage with this well we've reached the end of another podcast um, but before we go here are some questions that you might want to take into your own further conversations in your churches at small groups or fresh expressions how central do you see environmental concern to our christian calling what does the natural world tell us about the character of god How might you make more of creation in your own spiritual practices and personal times of worship? How might your church or fresh expression make more of creation in your corporate life? What evangelistic opportunities or opportunities for witness does the great outdoors provide for us as Christians? And what step changes could you make to be more environmentally friendly? Well, it's been good to be together on this podcast Uh, My thanks to Matthew, Anne and Erica. Uh, Thank you to all of you for your company uh, as you listen. And do tune in again. It's good to talk. It's good to listen and to reflect and to learn together. So join us next time on Rethinking Aloud, stimulating conversation in the Diocese of Leicester. Stay safe and stay blessed.